bottom line, even if more people are watching the content, um, I think most church leaders would agree that that that's not really the way we measure bottom line ecclesiologically. Hey, welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Uh, this is Roland Smith. I'm here with my buddies, Alan Bradford out in Tennessee and Carrie Ishii down in Texas. How you doing, guys? Doing good, man. Yeah, you hanging in there? Wonder Power Twins activate. Yeah. <laughs> How did we do that? We didn't even plan that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, that says a lot about you two. Y'all, I mean, you're, you two are about to go on vacation together. You go on vacations together, and you with and our family. wives and children. Your, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, just, <laughs> not just the two of us. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's let's declare this a little yeah. bit. Yeah, with our let families, me, we're all going on vacation together. Yeah. Let me clarify. Yeah, in the Forge universe, there's a thing known as the Bradford Issue Family Vacations, and so when 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 your families get together and go on a thing uh no one's surprised because we know that you guys see that so you, you're gonna airbnb a house in georgia or something like that and kind of right. get away for a while and yeah the idea air. was if if you know if we had to quarantine uh with another family like hey let's quarantine with with the issues that we figured they'd be safe we hope uh and so we got a little place in the middle of nowhere georgia that has a pool and we're just gonna let the kids play in the pool play games Hang out, cook cool. food. Ishi's a great chef, so we're gonna let him yeah. cook all the food. In fact, I, I sent him a uh, uh, an idea for like, hey, let's come up with a meal plan. I really wanted what to put was, Ishi cooks on this day. Ishi cooks on this day. <laughs> it's just just every day he cooks. So, yeah, I would I would probably sign up for breakfast, which is like coffee and toast, and then put Terry on dinner. You know, <laughs> so, which would be ribs yeah. and barbecue and all this great all right. stuff. So yeah, well that's cool. That's cool. Well, um, man, we are in the midst of kind of states and communities opening up. Everyone's in different phases. I don't, I don't really know what phase we're in in Colorado. To tell you the truth, I kind of lost track of what what's phase one, what's phase two, what's phase three. Um, but I know like our cafe um, is open for inside seating, and we've been doing that for. I guess about three, four weeks and three weeks. And uh, actually our church opened up uh, June the 7th for live services for the first time in, in months. And so it was a very, very different feeling because we, we had gotten used to being TV producers, you know, <laughs> it was like <laughs> we were live streaming this stuff and we actually had to clean up the worship center because we had like, prop pieces, set pieces, tables, lamps, all these things we had been using for um, just kind of filming these living room worship scenes, uh, just kind of all over the place. So we actually had to clean up the place and get it organized for people um, to come in. Um, are, are you guys opened up yet, Alan? Uh, no. Uh, no. In fact, we, we probably, we, we say we'll probably be the last faith community in all of Knoxville to open up. Okay. Um, it's a little bit unique in the fact that we don't own a building. Uh, so we meet in a, um, a concert venue and we also meet in a school and uh, with, a, we're in, I think we're in phase two, looking at phase three, uh, although uh, the cases have spiked here as we've started to reopen. So who knows what's going to happen. 
Um, so we, we've said, now, right now, what we're doing, so we do a Zoom call, and then we, we duplicate the Zoom call through a, like a YouTube and just send it out to people who don't want to do Zoom. And uh, we've just said, right now, it doesn't feel like um, it's the best thing for our people mm-hmm. to open up, uh, you know, because everybody has their own concerns and how they're going to do it. But we've really been leaning into the distributed church model and saying, what does that mean for us? Um, and how are we going to implement that? So our leadership has been just plugging away at it, looking at it. We've been dreaming and thinking. And the best part is, for us, our people are already starting to naturally do it. Hmm. Um, they're already starting to say, hey, you know what? Can we get together with a couple other families and let's do the Sunday Zoom thing together? And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's it. Like, keep doing that. Or there, there have been some families that, you know, since we'll do it on YouTube as well, they're like, uh, hey, let's get together on, you know, random whatever night together as families and we're going to watch the the YouTube thing together and, and sure. worship and they'll do all the communion, all the different things. Um, and so it's already happening. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, this is great. Uh, but in, in my neck of the woods, uh, here in the South, everybody has, has been like, how do we open up? How do we open up? Let's, let's right. get back open. Let's get back open. Right. And it goes back to my head. It goes back to that analogy of Alan Hirsch with the queen on the board. Yeah. Nobody can comprehend not having the queen on the board. So they got to get it on there as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a little, for me, it's a little frustrating because I like to scrap things and start over <laughs> and yeah. be like, hey, and we've not seen any real innovation happen from the church. It's all just been, how do we adapt? Yeah. Let's adapt until we can go back to normal. And I feel like to receive this time as a blessing, it's like, oh, this is great. Let's this, this, this do this stuff. And what, what, what would innovation look like? What would it look like to maybe think through some different uh, ways the church can express itself. So for us, not yet to answer your question, Roland, we're, it's not, it's, it's not quite on our radar, but we're moving towards how do we get people back together, together to be the body, to be uh, incarnational, to be shoulder to shoulder with people. Yeah. Terry, you're, you're, uh, you kind of coach and walk in community with a bunch of faith communities yeah. in Austin. So what, what are you kind of hearing or sensing down there? Yeah, I mean, some of the similar sentiment that that uh, Alan's talking about is, is, is very true here. Uh, we're in phase three uh, here in Texas, but if this is phase you three, are. It, it, well, it, it, it must there must be ten phases if, if we're on three because yeah, uh, yeah it's it's it, it seems every week there's like hey here's the new phase and it's like okay what what actually can you do and and um, I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of loud people who are ready to, you know, I don't know, go hang out at Target. I don't know why anyone wants to go there, but people are itching for Target and these sorts of things. And so you've got a small demographic that wants that, but by and large, people are staying put. I mean, they're just, they're not messing with this. And so um, some restaurants are open where you can come in, small capacity, wear a mask, that sort of thing, sit at your table and you can remove your mask and kind of have a little you know, meal and yeah. conversation. And yeah. we've done that twice in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, man, it's ghost town. It's ghost town everywhere we go. And so, uh, and are, then for the food, tr- for food trucks opened up. Cause you guys are like, I think of Austin as like food truck capital USA, you know? Yeah, we are. Uh, and there are some food trucks that are open. Um, and 
but just the foot traffic in general, because the way that we do food trucks here, uh, because they are so prominent, we create these trailer parks. Um, mm -hmm. And so it becomes a, big communal space and i think there are people who are just they're not even they're not willing to get out so they're open but they're not they're not slammed like they used to be um and then the churches i think you have that there are a lot of people that are wanting to open and we've had some um you know austin doesn't i, I think austin may only have two or three mega churches which for a, a, the fourth largest city in the state of Texas to only have that many mega churches that says something about our city. But, um, those guys are starting to open up. Um, but you know, they're basically doing, you know, reserve ticket type situation. And, you know, you've got people doing lotteries to, to go to church, which is kind of comical <laughs> to me a little bit, but you know, uh, it's like, Hey, did you get those Rolling Stone tickets? No, but I got my church tickets. Uh, is there like a black market? Like people are like scalping right. tickets outside the world. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to make fun, but that's hilarious oh, in my head. That is hilarious. And so we, we, the churches that I'm working with, a lot of them and they're stuck. They, they don't know what to do. They're, and yeah. and what's, what is becoming more and more obvious, they don't have a mindset to, to, to adjust or, or to adapt into some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks of this idea of what does it look like to be a distributed church? What does it look like to, you know, to naturally create these smaller expressions of the existing church and utilize social media and utilize YouTube and all these different aspects. And they're just stuck because they're like, well, the only way we know how to do this is put a bunch of people in one room. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's been interesting to kind of navigate through that. And, and then even for our, our missional expressions, you know, some of them, some of them around the country are gathering. They're at a point where they feel comfortable enough to kind of have people in their homes or, or if the coffee shops are open, they're able to kind of gather in small groups uh, but the one that I lead, uh, here in Austin, uh, in our neighborhood, we have, we have a handful of amino compromised individuals. And so mm -hmm. it's like, we're, so it's like, we're not meeting. And so, yeah. um, so we're, we're doing our little micro church on zoom. Um, yeah. So Sorry, I, I cannot get past it. In my head, some dude in a ball cap glasses outside the worship gathering. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. I got I got two tickets right up front, man. You well, hear the choir. No, here. <laughs> this is even better. Is is Joe and Betty Sue sitting there with their two kids, and he's holding up four fingers like I need four tickets. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, good. and we or we let the guy scalping bad tickets out front. It's like, yeah, right. I got two tickets. He'll get you in. You know, yeah. fake holograph. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I think some of the things that you're, you're, you're both saying we actually experienced this last Sunday and I've experienced it at the cafe too. So there, you know, in, I think in the whole country, um, and we've heard this kind of coming from Washington and whatever too, is like, if we could just get open up, if we can just open up, everything will be okay. And so we opened restaurants and, uh, we open the cafe. We have a really big coffee shop. And so we can have 50 people in here. And if there were 50 people in here on average, I mean, we'd do great. Um, people are not coming out. I mean, we're, you know, we're running like 57% of revenue, mm -hmm. um, which is, and I'm hearing this from other friends of mine 
that have cafes and, and businesses as well. Last Sunday, we did a distributed or dispersed church setup where we have, uh, we have our main wor- uh, sanctuary, our main worship center, and then we have a student building, which is that that room is actually bigger than the worship center room. It's like a big game thing that can be um, divided up. So we set up a live stream in there and made it mask only. So people that felt like, well, I want to come back, but I want to make sure everyone's wearing a mask. So we set up, we actually set up an environment where everyone has to wear a mask. So the lowest denominator, you know, and then um, we hold, then we did services here at third space coffee um, which we did live worship kind of acoustic style. And then we just played the message from the first service, you know, and did everything else live in the community. What I expected to happen and we did an RSVP system. It's not really tickets uh, per se. You don't have to print anything out, but we just wanted to know numbers, you know, and as soon as we sent that email the week before and said, we're opening this, the worship center up. There's two services. We can have 125 at each service in two different locations. So four services on the main campus and one service at Third Space Coffee where we can have 50. I expected that people would flock to that. And what happened was the next day when we had our worship planning meeting, 30 people had RSVP'd to worship services at the main campus and, and 20 at third space. And so the decision was, okay, well, we'll hit it again later in the week. So we hit it again later in the week. And what happened on Sunday was we had 87 at the first service uh, at the main campus, 60 something at the second and we had 28 here at third space. And so half of capacity. So half of what we could have on, on average actually showed up uh, to the church building. And so it just, that in combination with what I'm seeing with just people coming out to businesses and restaurants and that kind of thing, uh, and what you're saying with foot, foot traffic, it's like opening up is not, it's not going to be this, you know, saving thing for churches or for businesses or whatever. Cause there's a psychology out there with people right now. And, um, I, it feels like in the church, in the ecclesiology that we're still going to be forced to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they are grabbing the queen and putting it back on the board. But what, what's going to happen is they're going to realize, oh, the queen isn't the main piece anymore, you know, at some point. And, and that's what I'm wondering, you know, is over time if we're going to realize that. I think eventually, possibly. But at least in my experience here, uh, church to a lot of the people I've been just talking with, without the queen on the board, church is incomprehensible. Like, what, like what are we doing? Um, doesn't mean that all the other stuff's not important to them, but it's like, what, like, well, we got to get, we got to get everybody back in a room. Um, even, even, uh, just last night we had a long meeting with our, our leaders and we were discussing a lot of this and, you know, we're, we're a mid-sized church, 
and um, and we were talking through what does it mean to be a distributed church. And I threw up, um, I can't remember the guy who came up with it, but it's those four spaces of belonging, mm-hmm. right? You know, you got your two to four, which is like your intimate space. You got those two middle spaces where, you know, you got a small group space, your mission community space, and then everything that's like 70 up is like your large gathering space. And it's like, is that the only thing we're going to be able to fight for mm-hmm. is the large gathering? Like, is that it? Or can we actually um, be a faith community and do the church things inside of these other spaces? Can we actually do that and, and figure out what that looks like? Or is this the only thing we can do? And I think that's a question a lot of people are, are trying to figure out. That's what they're trying to answer is say, okay, what does it look like? What is, yeah. that, what is it going to mean? Yeah, it's interesting to see kind of church futurists that are kind of out there who are saying, hey, here are the trends and here's what's kind of what we're expecting. And one of the things that I find super disturbing um, is they're kind of speaking to the the millennial, the, the younger millennials, the the 20-year-old millennials, um, that they may never go back to church, that yeah. they may become a purely digital church. And... Um, you know, I've been introducing Bethany to the matrix. And so, um, man, I like where this is going. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that, you know, uh, our guest on, on today's pod, you know, uh, Jay's, he talks about the idea of analog church versus digital church. And man, uh, she's, she's just confused, you know, it's like, why would, and even it's the same thing that cypher, you know, spoiler alerts. If you haven't watched the matrix, you know, it's been out for 10 years. So it's your fault, but it's longer than 10, uh, right? Yeah. It's, it's only 20. 10. It's 20, 20 years. It's 2002, it 20 years. Right. Yeah. Um, still a great flick though, but yeah. you know, cypher has that line. He's like, why did I ever take that pill? Like, you know, and so the idea is that the matrix is, it's slick. It's smooth. It's pretty. It's beautiful. Um, and the analog, the real, the reality is dirty and grimy and not as sexy. And there's no washing machines in Zion, you know? And so it's like everything just has a, but you have that scene uh, where they're celebrating in the temple and just the, just the, the natural, like, there's true joy, but every time you look at the matrix, yeah, it's cool and it's slick and it's clean, but it's just kind of people walking through the motions. And so that, that worries me about this, this generation that if they're like tapped and saying, Hey, we're only digital. Um, and if the church's response is, well, we're still going to do large gatherings and you're in the wrong. If you don't come, that's going to create a huge problem for the church in the West. And so if the church doesn't pivot, to create spaces where this digital age can have some interactive places where it's that, that group, that intimate group or that, you know, those, those social group spaces, um, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, so I just recently watched a uh, webinar put on by Guy Wasco and uh, Justin Matera. Justin Matera is the pastor of Zion church in New York city. And his, his story is that they were um, a church meeting at a school a young church plant. I think he said about 200, 250 people. And in one week, this, this school is like, you're out, you're gone. And they were like, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And they went straight to a distributed church model. I mean, they tried to fight for like, Hey, what's it look to be traditional. And then they're like, this has been the most amazing thing ever. Like it's been like all the stuff you want to do. So he's explaining this, um, this model and I'm, I'm listening to it and I'm kind of, you know, Hey, what does that look like? Cause the church I'm a part of is a traditional Sunday centric 
you know, and we're trying to make that move. And at one point he said something to the effect of, you know, we had all the typical stuff, you know, you have the worship, you have the teaching, you have, we're in a, we're a mobile church, you have set up, you have tear down. And he said, a lot of that ended up coming back to me because I'm having a hard time plugging holes and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but when we made this move. I went from all of those things to equipping and empowering people and leaders to do stuff. Mm. And I got, I got choked up. I'm sitting here in my room and I got choked up because I'm like, that's what I want to give my life to. Like, I, I don't want to sit there and have to worry about are the chairs set up right and are all the, are all the volunteer positions filled for this morning, Mm -hmm. which has become a lot of my job. I never realized how many tables and chairs I had to put up as a pastor. Like from day one, <laughs> working in churches, my job has been how many tables, chairs do you put up, put down, all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to give my life to that. Yeah. I don't want to give my life to make sure that, um, you know, the Sunday, a big event thing is running well. God love people that do. And it's, it's awesome. doesn't mean it's a wrong thing. But I'm like, if I can equip and empower leaders to be, um, you know, to be the shalom, to be the gospel, the good news in their context, uh, yeah, I'd give my life to that. And so I don't know if it's, it, if it's the either or. It's like either you have to do in person or it's digital. Yeah. It's the innovation piece. And I don't think anybody's truly innovated yet in the midst of COVID. And it's the idea of saying, what does it look like to inhabit other spaces beyond just the big gathering? Because the church growth movement blinded us to this idea that, hey, the way church works is the bigger the better. You got to be the big church. You got to be the mega church. You got to offer all the services. You got to be all things to all people. Uh, and all we did was become the dispenser of religious kinds of services, <laughs> you know, right. salesman for Jesus in the church. And I'm like, mm, I don't want to do that. I, I'd rather, I'd rather help people say, what does it look like to reveal the kingdom of God here and now? Yeah. Uh, and so it is, it, it's an interesting conversation, especially with uh, who you had a chance to interview Roland in the midst of this, how yeah. do we move forward with the tools that we have and the wisdom and the discernment and the knowledge of, Hey, we're just trying to be about the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, funny. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. And you know me, I'm like the mission incarnational. I, you know, yeah. If you're bigger than 12, you're, you're leaning towards mega. Uh, <laughs> but there, there, there is to me, man, there's something special about the large gathering. And so, and, and I, I'm not, I know that's not what you're saying now. And I'm not, not going to say just trash it. There is a place. It's special. It's so funny. Uh, I guess a couple weeks ago uh, was the 20th anniversary of uh, one day. Um, I was at that. that. I was at, at that original, in fact, Kitty was pregnant with Carson, our oldest, and we wow. were at that, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, that, they just had that anniversary, and it's like, so, I, someone had posted that, and man, so many people just started, like, commenting, oh, I was there, oh, I remember Piper's word on Don't Waste Your Life, and, and people yeah. just started sharing all these moments, and it's like, these large gathering things have the potential to be life altering. The problem is, is we offer them, we try to offer them once a week and it yeah. just, it, 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 you know, so what would it look like if a church had the space to gather like that? If they made those gatherings more special where we were putting most of our energy into the smaller gatherings, but maybe every now and then we kick that machine on. And just yeah. the party of a lifetime yeah. where people come back and say, man, I remember that one time we did that. And I just, they can, they have that yeah. moment where they can say, they can put a pin in the timeline of their life and say, this time, this moment, this message 
changed my life. But when we create it, we try to create it week in and week out. We're, we're just kind of diluting our, yeah. the, the power in that. And I'm with you on that one. Uh, Cause I, I do love, I still love the large gathering. I still love it. I still, I mean, there's still parts of it that are, are transformative for me and all that. And to circle back to what you said about how a lot of the younger generation of Christians, whatever, you know, millennials, whatever. Um, I've been hearing that a lot too. I think they've enjoyed not having to participate in the big show, but if it was, you gave me a table where we could sit around and talk about Jesus. Yeah. I'd be totally cool with that. Now I still think that every once in a while they would want to come back to the large gathering, but they yearn for, I want a space where I can kind of work out <laughs> what we would say, work out my heresies, right? I want to, mm-hmm. I want a table. I want people who are older than me to mentor me. Um, and I want, I want the space to be able to provide or not to provide, but to lay out all my doubts and to lay out my struggles mm-hmm. and to, and to not be rejected because I do, as opposed to what generally becomes, a, you know, in a large gathering is, all right, I sit, I participate by singing, uh, you know, maybe, maybe communion or whatever, but really I just have to listen. I have to just receive. It's a very passive. I come, I, I get this stuff and I move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think it's a, it's kind of a both end. I mean, I could lean like Terry toward purely missional, small gatherings, but as a, as a worship leader, you know, for 20 something years, there is, there is a power that happens when, you know, 300 people, 400 people in a room are singing the same words together. And one of the things that I, that I often kind of teach, you know, uh, throughout the year is that, is that when when you are singing whatever lyrics to the song that's being sung as a congregation, you're actually singing to the person next to you, to your left, to your right, in front of you and behind you that may need to hear that. And so it's kind of like the it's like a community rally cry that lift that lifts all boats. All boats rise to whatever that truth is. And so you know, that and communion and something about, I mean, I'm for shorter sermons. I think they definitely are too long, but there's something about the people kind of opening the scriptures, hearing the same thing by someone that's gifted as a teacher, you know? So I think in my season of life and I turned 58 last week, I'm probably, I lean toward both end, you know, it's yeah. like we do need, to gather us the church in these ecclesial rhythms of um, Christendom are not all bad, even though they're, they've become too much. They've become the queen on the board as we keep saying, but we also don't want to play without the queen all the time. You know, we kind of want to have, we want to have both, both in. And so um, I don't know if I were planting a church um, with those kind of, that kind of terminology today, I would probably do something like what Terry's talking about, where you know it may be that you exist three weeks of the month as a distributed church and households, and then once a month we rent this warehouse space or a church or whatever, and we do a big thing. You know, so it's kind of like you gather and you scatter, and that's part of the rhythm um, of the whole community. Yeah. The, the the yeah, digital exactly. part of it is it is bothersome to me. So the um, you know, and I'm going to sound a little bit 
well, I've got friends that multi-site, so, and they're still friends of mine, but, you know, trying to broadcast something into a space and it feel incarnational seems really, really difficult to me. So, um, I still have a tension with that, you know, with the, with the digital side of being distributed. And I think there are some, some good uh, uses for that. And so, I mean, I hope no one hears this and thinks that we're anti-digital. Um, I mean, that, that's, that can lean, lead to some great innovation. Um, but it's, I mean, I think we have to approach it. You, you, want, you want to approach it holistically, like a balanced diet. Um, you know, when I was born in the 70s, it was like, you know, Oh, don't eat fat. And then now it's don't eat sugar, you know? And so like Bethany being born, one of the things we just said is, Hey kid, just make sure you get a little bit of everything, you know, because fat's not bad for you. Sugar's not bad for you. Those become bad when they become the thing you lean on for the majority of your diet. So if the majority of your diet is fat, if the majority of your diet is sugar, you're going to have some problems. And that's where we, I think that's the warning that Forge, what we would say is that we're not saying that attractional large gatherings are bad. We're just saying when you rely on that one dynamic mm-hmm. for this, the majority of what you do, it's going to cause some problems. You're, you're going to have some holistic issues, um, you know, with your body. And so what does it look like to be more balanced, to take, to take that in and, you know, so you're not just so reliant on one thing where a pandemic hits and you are just left, you know, you're paralyzed because you don't know what to do because the one thing that you could do has now been taken off the board. Or now you get to put, put it back on the board and that's not solving the problem. That's right. Right. I will, I will say this yeah. about the distributed church model though. Uh, and this goes back to Justin Materia at Zion. Um, he, he said that when they went to that distributed church model, they rejected um, piping in the teaching. They, they found, oh gosh, I think it was like, I think they had 12 house churches yeah. and they found 12 teachers. Yeah. Um, and they have a whole thing that they go through to say, hey, how does this work? I mean, they have a whole process where it's like, hey, we're all going to be on the same page about what we're teaching. Obviously, how we teach is going to be different, but they found 12 12 teachers real quick. And I love that idea because it goes back to activating everybody in the body. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when we when talk- you start to, sorry, when you start yeah. to explore a pest, yeah. um, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the amazing part is when you have people who have giftings who are off the norm. So when you have a prophet and they're like, hey, I'm a prophet, where do I fit in the church? What do I do? It's like, uh, sit and listen to the sermon is what we got for you. Right. Like, or, you know, and you know, someone who's a teacher and you know, like, well, what are we going to do? I teach Sunday school. It's like, well, okay, but there's more to it. Right. And so activating the entire body and saying, you've all got these giftings is huge. And I, I think, I think that the one, the one big thing for me lately has been, we've elevated certain things so high and said, we need these things to be so excellent. Right. Especially like, say, in in my community, like teaching has to be so good and so intellectual, so good that somebody who has a teaching gift, but they can't pull that off. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not good enough. I can't I can't do Mm -hmm. that. I was like, oh, yeah, you can. You just haven't had the time that this person has had to put into it. Um, 
And so how do we activate the whole body? Yeah. And that's yeah, the we, issue where excellence becomes an idol. Right. Yes. We, yeah. We talked about it. I mean, a couple of, couple of three podcasts ago where, you know, content creation is not evil, yeah. you know, for the, for the leadership of a church community or whatever to create content, whether that's teaching online or, you know, whatever it is, written kind of things. It's just that the content needs to be the tool and it needs to serve the end means. So if a, if a small community has a teacher or has a worship leader or whatever, I mean, use that and utilize that. If a small community finds, well, we don't really have anyone that feels like they can teach the scriptures. Well, then let them pipe in the, the message, you know, and utilize that as the community. So uh, it's just, I think it's just not letting the content be the focus of everything. You know, it's uh, it's the transformation. It's the incarnation of people together. Um, and it's, ha- you know, it's having community together. Well, we, um, or I got a chance to visit with an old friend, reconnect with an old friend. We actually um, were on staff together in San Jose, California. And now he's, um, he is the lead teaching guy at uh, Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, which you may recognize uh, that name because our old friend Dan Kimball, that's the, the church that he started, and almost all of us have read Kimball's stuff. Um, I heard he's got a book coming out this fall, too. It's his first time he's written something in, in a long, long time, so... Uh, but it, but J. Kim has been a great friend. He was a student pastor at a church where I was a worship pastor. And uh, he comes out of the Silicon Valley, and he wrote this book called Analog Church. And it's kind of this ironic message of someone that is planted in the Silicon Valley, right around Apple and HP and all of those companies, Google, um, but then sees how digital technology has interfered with the incarnational life-on-life presence of the church. And so, um, and the ironic thing was uh, Jay's book got released the week after the lockdown. And so they, yeah, he'll, I think we talk about it, but they had a big party at church for his book and he taught on it and all that kind of stuff. And then the very next week they were on Zoom. So, you know, that's kind of how God does stuff is like, right. When you think you've got a handle on it, he's going to teach you something new. But, um, so really interesting, uh, conversation with Jay. Um, the guy is super, super smart. And, um, I think, I actually think this book has a lot to say for our time right now because we're wrestling with, you know, life on life presence of people versus digital and kind of where does church go in that? And um, I think this, this is a book to definitely read um, during this. So, um, so let's join that conversation with uh, Jay Kim. Well, hey, it's good to be on uh, with uh, my friend Jay Kim. And we actually were, used to work together for a good. short time, for about a year in yeah. San Jose, yeah. California. And Jay was uh, the student guy, and I was the worship mm-hmm. guy at a church. And, um, but, man, I was so – I've kind of kept up with you a little bit, what's going on in, yeah. in your life. And I was really intrigued with your book, 
that was coming out on IVP uh, March 31st, I think was release date and uh, called analog church and um, just uh, read a little bit um, the intro and that kind of stuff and really seems interesting to the missional conversation as well. So uh, just thanks for being with us, man. And, and uh, I just want to hear, you know, hear a little bit about what's going on in your life too. Cause we haven't gotten to catch up totally. in a while. So we're just going to make everyone on the podcast kind of like <laughs> not listen to every kid's story, but like, you That's know, right. let's hear where you're at. You know, I know yeah. you're on church staff uh, in Santa Cruz and, hear a little bit about the book and all that. So thanks for being with us, man. Yeah. Well, Roland, it's great to be able to finally catch up our, our ministry paths converge again. And uh, yeah, it was a blast working alongside you and serving alongside you. Uh, it was a long time ago, you know, your, uh, your yeah. kids now were, they were kids. They were littles back then. And now they're like grown up and married and wild. Um, I mean, so one of the stories I still tell is how, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, uh, my son Carson and I'm trying to remember who lived at the bottom of the hill of the church uh, was in the youth group and airsoft Charlie? guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah Charlie, Charlie Curry, and, yeah. and airsoft guns had just come out. They were popular, yes. you know, like totally. the little, the little pellets, the colored pellets. Mm-hmm. And I still remember walking into the church and um, um, seeing airsoft pellets everywhere all yes. over the hallways and everything and they had yes. been running through the halls of the church shooting airsoft guns yeah man i i remember as a student <laughs> ministries guy at that church you know serving alongside you i remember a lot of emails and phone calls from parents with their concerns <laughs> that we had these little pellets flying around and kids weren't wearing goggles i just i distinctly remember those I emails so <laughs> totally yeah. So yeah. you have you have left the it, the problems of student ministry behind a little bit, yes. And now you kind of co co lead Vintage Faith, which is a church that's been around for a long time. I mean, Dan Kimball, yeah. a lot of us have read his books and that kind of stuff. So uh, tell tell us a little bit about your context right now before we jump into uh, Analog Church. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, student Ministries was uh, a, feels like it was a long time ago, and um, you know, great respect for those who continue to serve and. and lead and pour into students. But yeah, I, uh, I left that role to go plant a church with a, a friend and that uh, was awesome and strange and difficult and exhilarating. And then went to the polar opposite end from there and became a teaching pastor at a large sort of multi-site mega everything church in the Silicon Valley. And then left that role to go, um, you know, serve at a church in a strange, really genuinely strange, weird, beautiful, eclectic, sleepy little beach town on the coast of California called Santa Cruz um, at a church called Vintage Faith uh, yeah. that, that, you know, some people know um, because, you know, long before I was on staff there, it was an influential community for me, mm-hmm. just as somebody who was interested in ecclesiology and the mission of the church, you know, the guy who planted it was part of the team that planted it. Dan Kimball has written several books and um, it was just, you know, he's got a brilliant mind mm-hmm. and as uh, good buddies with, you know, some of your crew of my yeah, yeah. and Alan Hirsch yeah. and they're really good friends. And, you know, he's kind of in that world where he's just thinking and pushing and, and I was really drawn to that. And so he and I struck up a friendship first. He's an incredibly generous guy and gave me some time when um, he probably had better things to do. But that led to a really wonderful friendship, which led to us working on some projects together, which then led to us 
uh, serving alongside each other for the last four years or so yeah. at Vintage. And yeah, these four years have been um, beautifully transformative for me. Uh, one, as a follower of Jesus, but two, just in terms of my ecclesiology and, and what it looks like to effectively reach those who could care less about Jesus, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, well, that's cool. Well, so um, this book, uh, Analog Church, is um, interesting to me. Uh, and I don't know that I've seen anything kind of writ- written. I've seen pieces written about the digital age and, you know, us kind of getting sucked into being online all the time and those, those kind of and sociological things that come out of that. But, but you've got like this whole book on ecclesiology and digital versus kind of analog. Um, so could you kind of give us the, give us the elevator pitch and then we'll kind of dive into some pieces of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think because I've grown up in the Silicon Valley, which is the epicenter, you know, the hub of digital technology and, and online technology, uh, it's been a huge benefit for me in that um, just because of the people I'm surrounded by, the folks who, who are friends and family, both who um, are in the business of actually creating and making the stuff that we carry around in our back pockets, these little you know, magical black boxes in which we just totally lose ourselves so often. Um, you know, it's given me, in some ways, it's been helpful in that I'm able to, at least in my best moments, see it for what it really is, which is like a plastic metal box, you know, that mm-hmm. weighs half a pound that I carry around. And uh, the fact that it is in- incredibly helpful and convenient, but that also if I lose myself in it in ways that uh, as a human being I'm not designed to, that it, it actually becomes a, a, an incredibly formational, I would say deformational tool. And uh, I think that's, you know, something that's happening just on a, on a wide level for individuals. But I began to, to really get interested probably four or five years ago in the intersection between everything I just said and our ecclesiology, the ways in which the local church um, and many local churches that I know um, the, the way in which the church is sort of leaning headlong, you know, diving headlong really into digital technologies, the latest and greatest, without maybe considering the ways in which it's forming us and forming our ecclesiology. And so it, it began as a curiosity. In some ways, it turned into a concern. Uh, and then, you know, again, with um, encouragement and prodding from Dan Kimball, who's, you know, um, great with this sort of stuff. He was like, man, this feels like a book. And uh, you should write it and, and just yeah. give it a shot. So um, that's where I came from, you know, really started rumbling around in my head and my heart probably four or five years ago. And, and uh, yeah, I hope it's helpful and, and challenging for people. Yeah. So how, so how does that premise, uh, which I think probably most people agree with that you can get lost, you can get lost in technology. We can catch ourselves like always looking down at our phone. Yep. Uh, we, you know, we get on a plane. The first thing we do is put our earbuds in, which is kind of the signal of don't bother me instead of being mm-hmm. relational. So how does that stuff kind of link up to uh, the church and ecclesiology in the church? I mean, how are you bringing those together? 
Yeah. Well, probably the most succinct way to talk about it is I, I propose the idea that the digital age and its technologies are driven by three really crucial values, um, the values of speed, uh, choice, and individualism. And what I mean by that, and everyone can relate to this, is that digital technologies are fueled by everything being faster and faster, right? You can remember dial-up, and it's like that feels barbaric now. You know, anybody yeah. who uses dial-up yeah. is like so slow. Um, and then choice, obviously. You know, I was just on Amazon earlier today and, you know, looking for something, and you type the thing into the search bar, and it's just you got to go page after page to figure out which one you want to pick. It's just endless mm -hmm. variety of choices. And then individualism, you know, everything about our digital experience increasingly is becoming curated to my preferences and my personality. And the scary thing in some ways is that like, I don't even have to individualize anymore. You know, the machine mm -hmm. algorithms are individualized. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've all had that strange sort of frightening experience of thinking about something or having a conversation in real life about a car or something. And then you go on Facebook and there's an ad for the car. You were just talking to your Yeah. Brother. I just had it. I just had one of those today. It was like it's really creepy, weird. Man. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was looking at a company's, a startup company's website mm -hmm. and then I jumped on Facebook and their ad came up. Yep. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it like, it's creepy. It creeps yeah, me out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so there you go. is speed, choice, individualism. Yeah. And I think, again, on the surface, those are good things, I guess. They can be. I mean, I, I, you know, they're neutral, you know, I think in some ways. Um, but all good things even – when they are misplaced in terms of our priorities and our values, they can become really um, harmful. And that's true of anything, really. And I think what's happened in the digital age is that our speed, uh, because it's gone unchecked, our desire for speed has actually made us incredibly impatient. Our endless array of choices is making us incredibly shallow. We never have to sink deeply into anything. There's always another option. And then um, the hyper-individualism of the digital age is making us incredibly isolated, which almost all the statistics unanimously are showing that with the rise of the internet has been a rise, a, a very sharp parallel rise of feelings of isolation and loneliness. And, you know, so the, the, the problem there when it comes to our ecclesiology and the life of being shaped and formed into the image of, of Jesus is that impatience, shallowness, and um, isolation, those things stand in direct opposition to the values of discipleship to Christ, which mm -hmm. is incredibly patient, it's incredibly deep, and it's communal. You know, right. so uh, that's essentially the book in a nutshell. Obviously, I dive into the details of what that looks like in terms of the worshiping life of the church, the way we understand and experience community, and, and even the Bible and the way we... Uh, read and understand scripture and communion and those sorts of things. But um, there you go. That's sort of the, the thrust yeah. of, of the book. So, so if, you know, obviously this is a core, you know, belief and it's the fabric of who you are because you just wrote it uh, and Dan was on board too. So, so what are some decisions maybe like what, what decisions would you make or not make say with the vintage faith community? there in Santa Cruz that kind of like, Oh, this is going over the line. Mm. Uh, this is, 
so we're going to make this decision. Because so, I'm assuming there are practical things as church or you know community leaders that you want to guard against. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great question. I mean, one, I don't think that there is, I think the most important thing to say is to do what you just asked, you know, the question you just asked, Mm -hmm. to do the difficult work of, you know, in seminary, we're all taught to exegete biblical texts, and that's obviously super important. But um, it's just as important, I think, in the work of local church ministry, especially, to do the work of exegeting your community and their stories and your city or your town and the sort of cultural ethos of that place and the way people think about what it means to be connected or disconnected, what they think about, um, you know, beauty and goodness and truth and all those sorts of things. Like it is the role of the pastor or the church leader or anybody passionate about the mission of the church to do that work. And I think one, we have to do that. And um, it, when we don't do that, I, I think the digital age is actually designed to make us into, if we're not careful, it's designed to sort of push and prod us in the direction of becoming copycats, which eventually makes us caricatures. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I can go on my phone right now and with a couple of clicks or a couple of swipes, I can look up every, you know, whatever trending church leader in America or around the world and just see all of their highlights on Instagram and be like, oh man, my church should look like that. Or I should preach like that. Or I should dress like that or go on preachers and sneakers. And what shoes is Judah Smith wearing? I should go buy those, whatever. If we can afford those. Yeah. yeah, If I can, which I can't, which I can't. Um, but, you know, yeah. I think what, what happens there is we, again, we just become copycats, which turns us into caricatures. And then we're not doing the all-important work of exegeting our community and doing the sort of creative thing that's demanded of us in the moment, within the particular context, and amongst the particular people to which we're called. So in terms of going analog, I think that's a first step, is to do the difficult work of exegeting. And then there's lots of things. I mean, I get into some of it in the book, but, you know, um, when it comes to the worshiping life of the church, I think it's so important to invite participation rather than leaning into, you know, presenting something mm-hmm. yeah. um, or, or uh, creating content or a product for people to consume, yeah. instead inviting people to create and then shaping your spaces and even your gatherings and the flow of the gathering and all those things. Um, to uphold those values, you know? So uh, there's lots of examples, but that's probably kind of a 30,000 foot view. Yeah. What, what is kind of coming to mind is that, I mean, this, this, this push into technology that society and culture has um, obviously has a really heavy consumer um, underpinning to it. Um, that's the draw. That's the thing that people tickle is that your consumer, uh, tendencies and, um, in the church, we obviously have fallen prey to that at times. I mean, you and I both come out of, you know, music and worship and that kind of stuff in the church. And, you know, it's like that, you know, the next you know, can you get the next best uh, fog machine? Can you put an extra yeah. screen up on the wall? Can you, you know, what yep. what can you do? How many loops can you run so that, right. you know, you, you sound 
like a monster band. And, you know, and I'm not saying that stuff is wrong for a certain community, but it's just, um, it's that we can fall, fall into that trap of, okay, so people want this. And so we're going to, we actually become the digital, um, purveyor of goods and services, right? Where we can in the church if we're not careful. And so, uh, so do you, I, I, I've been to one vintage faith service. It was back when I, you and I were on staff and I had read Dan's books. And so when we moved to San Jose, one of the first things I did was I drove over on a Saturday night and, hmm. and went to a service. And, you know, it's amazing how um, intentionally stripped down and raw hmm. that was then. Is that still kind of the, the environment that you guys try to curate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we still use the standard backend stuff, right? We have like a planning center online yeah, and there's sure. an order and structure, but yeah, for sure. When you walk into our space, first of all, we meet in a uh, 1938 red brick Presbyterian building with a stained glass and it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so there is, you know, we've lost that, right? Most, and I'm not mocking or attacking. It's fine. I get it functionally. But most church buildings that, that have been built in the last 25 years are really designed after like, they just look corporate, you know? And again, I'm not attacking. I'm not bashing. It's just there's a very particular sort of functional leaning to the aesthetic. Um, but I love that we gather in you know, building that was, you know, built before World War II and it's red brick and uh, the, the aesthetic of the space has a theological underpinning, you know, it all yeah. sort of means yeah. something and matters. And, and even the, you know, our room uh, is, is designed for sound, the sound of a congregation, not the sound of a band. And certainly we, you know, functionally we, we have a band, so we should probably do some soundproofing, but uh, I love that we can hear our people, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah in, in many ways, when you walk in, we're, we're trying to lean more toward artistry than we are uh, sophistication, you know? Sure. I think that, and that might be confusing to some, but what I mean by that is like specifically, we're not trying to impress people with um, how sophisticated we are technologically and, and, um, and technically what we're trying to do is capture people's imagination, you know, uh, with artistry, um, and, and with creativity and beauty. And I think that really matters, you know, that differentiation to not try our best to impress. No one would say that, but you know, in your heart, you know, when you're designing a worship gathering or a space, like, Oh, I want this to be impressive. And, and that's not at all in our hearts and minds when we think about our gathering or anything we do, we're not trying to impress anyone. We're just trying to help people imagine, um, which is much more spacious and invitational. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I I hope so. I hope that if you walk into a gathering, at least that's my take on it, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess what I'm driving at, I'm not trying to get us in a discussion of like, you know, what's the right model, what's the wrong model necessarily. It, but it seems that there would be practical decisions um, as a result of accepting the premise of your book, you know, yeah. which is, um, you know, it's kind of like this, maybe this unseen kind of soft line in the sand that only you know about your community. You talked about exegeting your own community. 
it's like, okay, this is steps a little bit over the line and is mm-hmm. taking us into, you know, whatever you want to call it, consumerism or too much digital or whatever, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I do have, I I take a pretty hard stance on specific things that isn't really necessarily even like, Hey, exegete your community. Like I think there's a theological ecclesiological uh, reason for um, really critically considering the whole, you know, video venue model, you know, and, and I'm, Again, I think there's a time and place for video. I think that the, it can be helpful, obviously, in the time we're in now with sheltering in place in so many yeah. places. This is the only means, you know. But so I'm I'm grateful for it. But you know, when this is over, when we're able to gather again, yeah, like the video venue model is just one example. I just think it misses um, mm-hmm. what it means to be the church on so many levels, and and I get into that in the book. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've always kind of seen video venues as um, kind of the institutional churches. It's like they're recognizing a correct thing, which is we need to be incarnational in a particular geography. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in other words, we have people coming to our church from the east side of town. So we need, we need to put a venue over there. So the, the realization that you want to incarnate in that space um, is correct. It's just the branding and the piping of, you know, the same kind of thing. Um, Well, it betrays the idea of incarnation, right? Incarnation means in the flesh. And and I think that's the point I'm trying to make with video teaching is like, you're actually literally the opposite of incarnational. You're right. not in the flesh or piping a, which is, you know, a big part of the theological sort of underpinning of, of why that matters to me. Again, not with you. I'm with you. You know, I'm not attacking churches that I, my, my assumption is most leaders who lean in that direction. Every leader that I know that really loves the video model, it's mm-hmm. because primarily they have a deep love for Jesus. And like you said, they want to reach a particular part of town. I just think it demands more thought, and, and more critical sort of engagement um, if, if that's the way you're going to go. Cause sure. you know, there's a lot there. So sure. Well, Hey, I got to ask you this question cause we're, we're recording this on April 15th. Mm. And so we're right in the midst of a lot of States and cities and stuff kind of saying, okay, are we at the peak? We think we're at the peak. We're just past the peak, you know, of COVID and, and all this. And, and obviously you guys in California are, are dealing with it just like we are here. Um, are you guys so, all sheltering in place? You are. We right? are. Statewide? Yeah. 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 We're, we're sheltering in place. Um, but the irony of your book coming out March the 31st and then being forced to choose, you know, okay, so are we going to live stream video? How, how are we going to relationally uh, be, still be a community with technology? So, um, you know, I hope this didn't put you on the spot, but I, I, I kind of want to hear like, so what was the conversation at Vintage Faith? Because like this is, you know, the, the book's just coming out and all that. And then you have to embrace yeah. technology. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. are you guys doing and, and how are you? I know there's tension, but how are you dealing with everything? Yeah, it's, it was a funny story. So because we knew the book was coming out at the end of March and this book was like really birthed out of our community at Vintage, 
the last Sunday that we were able to gather in person, of course, we didn't know that was going to be our last Sunday, but it was March 8th, and at least here where we are. And uh, um, we did a one-off teaching where I taught on the book. <laughs> we gave a copy of the book to people in the church. We just, you know, um, our church bought up a bunch of books and then we just gave them out as a thank you and a celebration. Uh-huh. And that was the last time we gathered. So it was like a whole teaching on, man, gathering like this in person, incarnationally matters so much. And then the very next week we're like, we'll see you online. <laughs> so, <laughs> see you on Zoom. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just had to, man, first of all, Dan and I just laughed about it. We just thought, yeah. COVID-19 is far from funny. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but like the situation, yeah. yeah, the situation where we're like, this is so crazy. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not doing anything that most churches aren't doing. I, I think if there's anything unique about us because of our, and it's not even that unique, lots of churches are doing this, which is encouraging to me, but we're just trying to communicate this new reality as a temporary compromise rather than celebrating as, as, as this new sort of like, look at this breakthrough. Oh my gosh, we have this technology. Wow. Who knew we could just do this. Like that's not our posture at all. We're constantly telling our folks, we miss you. We can't wait yeah. to see you, which most church leaders are. Um, but we're, we're definitely looking at this and, and teaching it to our people as a temporary compromise uh, with a deep desire, as Paul writes in his letter to the Thessalonians, man, we endeavor to see you face to face when this is over. Yeah. Um, so I think that posture is important. But, you know, as we carry that posture, the reality is, as ironic as it is, we've gone totally online. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to do little things that that sort of carry the ethos of, of who we want to be. So we're trying not to pre-record anything. Uh, we're trying to show up and, you know, there's a limitation in Santa Cruz County. Um, they, the the state has actually declared that church services are essential. So as long as we stay under, I think, six people, we, we're allowed to gather and meet. Um, that would actually mean that we could meet have meetings like in the office, but we're not doing that. All of our staff are yeah. working remote. Um, but we are getting together on Sunday mornings. Uh, there's usually five of us, four to five of us in the room. Yeah. And we're live streaming the gather, and then we've got someone, a couple staff at home who are like doing the chat thing. So yeah, yeah. we're doing yeah, Zoom we're doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah, so we're just we're yeah. doing our best to try to at least if we can't be in real space, let's at least try to meet in real time. You know, and, yeah. Um, uh, so we're trying to do that kind of thing, and and we're online a lot, which I understand the irony of it. Yeah, again, it's all trying to be as much of it as possible as in real time, and. And it's been fascinating to see, you know, people, I think what's encouraging, sad about this this time, but encouraging to me is there is a rising sort of visceral understanding deep in our bones that digital is really helpful, but man, this is not enough. Like we so long for embodied presence. And yeah, so I think that's a good thing that we're aware, becoming increasingly aware of that. Yeah. Let me, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things because the, th- the thing I've been chewing on is are the habits that people are learning right now, maybe um, in the midst of this. And I'm talking more probably people that are um, they're, they're more church attenders Mm -hmm. and they're kind of, they, they're kind of learning that, okay, it's, it's, it's kind of okay to sleep in on Sunday or um, 
wow, look at all the different church content that's online. I didn't even realize it. And um, so I've had this thought, you know, and that I've been chewing on that this, the whole COVID thing is teaching kind of cultural habits where we might see um, people staying in their neighborhood more, which can be both a problem for certain institutional structures, but can be an opportunity in a missional from a missional standpoint, because Mm -hmm. if you, you know, teach people to eat together and spend time together and, even if they're watching con- content online at a church together and then discussing it, you know, you have basically a house church um, mm-hmm. kind of system. And then Mike Frost kind of comes out with a, a deal. I don't know if you read it just a couple of days ago with this statistic that mega churches online have online content uh, has grown like 300%. Like they're the church is growing quote unquote. I don't know how they're, measuring that online. And so more and more people are watching online. Now the, the, the doubt that I have or or the question I have is, are they watching one service then jump it over to another service? So it kind of gets, you know, caught counted in more than one place. But, um, so have you thought about, um, from an ecclesiological standpoint, just kind of, come up with possibilities of what this might look like in the near future and then maybe next year or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about it a lot. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, just lean on the wisdom of men and women way smarter than me. Um, but yeah, I have some thoughts. I mean, one, I, I've heard those statistics as well, you know, that there's like, Oh man, exponential growth online. I just, I don't, I, I, those seem like really wonky numbers to me. There's no way because I think what it means is, first of all, we're not accounting. If we're celebrating the growth, like we have 300% increase online. Well, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges between like actual physical embodied presence and online digital attendance. That would be like, you know, if, you posted a photo of your wedding and you've got, you know, 2000 people who like the photo. That's very different than the 180 people who actually flew out to attend your wedding, you know? And it's just, it's different. It's so much easier to kind of uh, stroll around online and watch a thing and have it on, on the background. doesn't necessarily mean um, all that much. So I'm not saying that churches aren't growing digitally. I just don't know that, you know, we have real strong metrics for that right now. But the the other thing I would say is, bottom line, even if more people are watching the content, um, I think most church leaders would agree that that that's not really the way we measure bottom line ecclesiologically. So when we say, I mean, some churches do, and I think that's dangerous. It's like, oh, we've got 2000 people attending and that's Mm -hmm. the only number we care about. Well, if that's the only number you care about, then I don't think it doesn't seem to me that you're that interested in, in the formational process of people coming to become more like Jesus, right? Essentially what you're interested in is growing a big thing. And that's Mm -hmm. fine if that's what you want to do. I just don't think that that's um, the bottom line of the church. So, you know, whether people are are watching online or not or growth or not, I think we would all agree those who have a robust ecclesiology would say real growth has to be 
um, tracked and measured in some form or fashion along the lines of the way people are engaging within the life of a community and journeying along the formational process. And that's almost impossible to do online. I don't think it's, I, I, think it's, I think it's totally possible to initiate online, but to take that full journey online uh, I would argue transformation is by its nature, it demands an analog uh, embodied incarnational sort of presence. So when it comes to the future, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful that the sort of rising angst we have of this sort of disembodied digital reality we're living in right now, that it will at least um, launch us into a celebra celebratory sort of, you know, uh, explosion of like showing up in one yeah, form or fashion yeah. when this is over you know and then it'll be the work of of church leaders and churches and church communities and, and small groups and everything else to maintain that um that sort of celebratory like man how good is it that we can be the people of god together again right for the long right run. right and we i mean i've I own a coffee shop as well. And, you know, our business is our shops empty, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. it's a place uh, that was started for community. And we've, I've talked with other coffee shop owners and we're just, we've, we've said many times like, man, if we can just get to the other side of this, just wait till they lift the stay in place. Cause like, we're going to have so much business. We don't know what to do with because yeah. people, people are dying to yeah. have coffee together and have hugs and talk Man, and all those kinds of things. And so, I, you know, so the same could be true of the church as well. It's like, they can't wait to get back and sing together and hear the whole room, you know, yeah. yep. um, in chorus and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, but I, I do think we're learning some, I, I do think it's deconstructing, um, institution in some good ways. I don't know if I know exactly what lessons we're learning yet, but yeah. uh, it just, it feels like it's shedding. It's, it's making us shed some bad habits maybe and, or some things that we were taking, taking advantage, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, I agree. I, I think that in some ways it's making us, I mean, you know, crisis forces our best creative work out of us. And yeah. I, I'm hopeful I've written about this publicly, but you know, I'm hopeful that the sort of creative fervor that's pouring out of church leaders on a very micro level, you know, we're getting very, to your point, like we're getting very, here's small things you can do in small ways in your small pocket, whether it's you and your roommate or the family that you're living with, or even on your own, you know, here are little things you can do. I'm hopeful that that sort of creative fervor uh, extends far beyond, you know, outlasts COVID-19. Um, I was listening to, to Mark Sayers, brilliant mm -hmm. writer and thinker and pastor out in Australia on a podcast he was doing um, just a few days ago. And he's got this great line. He says that he's kind of like this prophetic futurist guy. He says that he thinks that what this moment is doing is it's setting us up for a future in which the next renewal, and he's talking about widespread renewal of the church is not going to come from a handful of leaders with giant platforms, but rather it's going to be crowdsourced, right? Oh, that yeah, anybody cool. and everybody is just going to lean in and give their best ideas and we're going to glean from each other. And I love that. You know, I love that and, and uh, hope that that's true. Well, yeah, for that, I mean, that would be great. It seems like us that are put in positions of leadership, we have to, um, 
you know, actually invite that kind of stuff, protect it, tell the stories and, and not like dismiss it. Okay. Now that's over. Now let's go back to what we were doing. In other yeah. words, you, you, we have to pay attention to, you know, what kind of great stuff happened in your neighborhood or in your journey or whatever, while you were sheltered in place that we can continue that rhythm as part of our community, you know? Yeah. And, yep. and uh, that's another kind of thing I've been chewing on. So mm. anyway, well, Hey man, it is uh, so good to spend some time with you and uh, see your face and yeah. uh, you look the same. I've gotten grayer, but you, <laughs> you look the same, man. Um, the Asian complexion, you know, <laughs> thanks to my mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> um, but, uh, hey, I wish you the best at uh, Vintage Faith and with the book. And, uh, you know, you told me you're going to be out here in Colorado, so I hope to spend some time with you. And yeah, I, buy I you a will cup call coffee. you up for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I'd love to see the see the coffee shop. So yeah. hopefully yeah, yeah. we're back to somewhat normal by October. And, uh, yeah. We'll yeah. So how can people kind of get hold of you? I mean, I know the book's on Amazon and it, all the places you can buy books, uh, but what are other ways they can get hold of you or some other things you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I guess the best sort of catch-all place is I just have a little website, jkimthinks.com. It doesn't mean I'm the only person who thinks. They're just the things I'm thinking yeah. about. That's all. So jkimthinks.com. So my book stuff and our church and uh, different things I'm working on, it's all there. Um, so there you go. That's probably the best place. And that's me on Instagram and Twitter too, jkimthinks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for spending some time with uh, the Forge Tribe and uh, tell Dan we said hi. I will. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Roland. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Bye. Thanks. Hey, great conversation with Jay Kim. Thanks, Jay, for joining us uh, here at Forge. And as always, we are glad that you're online with us and joining the conversation. Uh, Alan, Terry, and I have loved curating this first season. Uh, Next week, we're going to have Angie Ward, who is the new assistant director of the DMIN program at Denver Seminary, and uh, talk around uh, women in leadership. And we'll have some guest hosts joining us and and having some other conversations as well. And that's going to be the last show of season one. So we'd love for you to to join us before we um, kick up some new stuff in the fall. Um, Be sure to like us on iTunes. If you haven't gone back and listened to some of the uh, seasons, maybe that can be something you do over the summer. Uh, There were some really, really good interviews with uh, great voices around um, missional incarnational practice. And um, so anyway, thanks for being us with us this week and I hope everyone does well. Alan, Terry, we will talk to you guys last week, next week for the last season. All right. Look, looking forward to it. Sounds All good. Right. I'm going to dig out my one day CDs. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.